0: i got a, a message that I want to share with you, and, and it's called Lessons from the Crowd, okay? And we're going to read a little bit in the Bible today about where um, one week before Easter, um, on Palm Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, where Jesus came into Jerusalem for the very last time. And you know what? He was greeted by some amazing crowds. There was, some, there was a lot going on in Jerusalem at the time. It was the Passover time, so of course Jerusalem was going to be busy as well. But Jesus was coming into the city for the very last time. His purpose for being on this earth was coming to a culmination. And, and guys, if you look at the crowds that greeted Jesus you can learn a few lessons. And that's what we want to do today. We want to learn a few lessons from the crowd. Today is Palm Sunday, as I mentioned, one week before the resurrection, or Easter Sunday, the day Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time, beginning the Passion Week, which was to be his final week of his life here on earth. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew 21 And then you can uh, flip over a couple pages to Matthew 27 because we're going to go there as well. And then if you really want to be on top of things, get ready for Luke 23. I'm really just saying this for the gentleman in the back. But we're going to be in Matthew 21, Matthew 27, Luke 23. Let's get started. Matthew chapter number 21, verses 8 through 11. 8 through 11. The Bible says this. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. That's his entrance into the city. The beginning of Passion Week, such excitement. Behold, Jesus, Hosanna in the highest. It was a great celebration. It's amazing how quickly things can change. It's really amazing how you can go from a high to a low. How many have ever experienced that? You go from the the best of the best, all of a sudden, everything changes. Well, a whole lot changed in just one short week. Let's read about it in Matthew chapter number 27. Now, we pick up reading right now, Jesus has already been arrested and uh, he is on trial, and um, the religious leaders want to crucify him. And they bring him to the Roman governor at the time, the Roman leader, because you see, the Jewish people they didn't have capital punishment; they couldn't crucify, but the Romans could. So they brought him to Pilate, and we read this story in Matthew chapter number twenty-seven. Let's look at verses fifteen through twenty-six. It says, and at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And there had been a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you? Barabbas, who was a criminal, a murderer, a, just a, a heinous person, or Jesus? So that's the choice. It should be pretty simple, right, Rick? They, they should be able to get this one right. Okay, let's keep on reading. So, whom shall I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Guys, there's a lesson. Listen to your wives, okay? That's not the sermon today. Wow, I got an amen from the front row, okay? But listen to your wives, okay? Verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of these twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called the Christ? They all said unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that they could prevail nothing, but rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. He answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. Just one week before, the crowd had it right. Just one week before, they were recognizing that Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. Hosanna, this is who we've been praying for. And less than one full week later, they picked a criminal over the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter number 23. Luke chapter number 23, verses 32 through 43. This is when Jesus is actually on the cross himself. He's being crucified. They crucified him with two common criminals. In verse 32 of Luke's gospel, it says, And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, and on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment, and they cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be the Christ chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him in vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save yourself. And a superscription was also written above him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which was hanging railed on him, saying, If you be the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Does not you, Don't you fear God, seeing that thou art in the same con- condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. Then he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Today you will be with me. In paradise. Three different scriptures, three different lessons that we're gonna try to learn today, amen? On this Palm Sunday, one week before Super Bowl Sunday, if you will, for Christians. That's what Easter Sunday really is. It's the best day for, for a Christian. It's a day that we celebrate, that we remember that our Jesus rose from the dead. See, the story didn't end on a cross. The story didn't end on a cross, it went from a cross to a grave, and that's where the story took an interesting turn. We'll hear more about that next week. But let's pray that the Lord would help us to learn some valuable lessons that we can apply to our lives so that we could serve God better. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word that is going to be our God, that's going to be our our help. And I pray today, Lord God, that you would help us to learn a few lessons from the crowd, that you would speak to us and that you would encourage us and that you would help us to, to, um, to serve you more faithfully. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody would say amen. The first point that we can learn, and this is illustrated both in Matthew 21 and Matthew 27, is the crowd can be right, but they can also be wrong. You see, that's the thing about following the crowd. They can be right sometimes, Brother Rick, but Brother JD, they can also be very, very wrong okay? The crowd can be right, the crowd can be wrong. In Matthew chapter number 21, the crowd was absolutely right. They are welcoming a king into the city. They are welcoming Jesus. They are saying Hosanna in the highest. They are making a big to-do, Sister Eloise, over somebody who deserved it. They were celebrating, they were saying this could be the Messiah, this is a prophet, this is a man of God, and they were right, right, and right. So the crowd can be right sometimes. But then just a few days later, Troy, they missed the boat big time, okay? I mean, Hunter, they missed that 2-0 fastball coming right down the pike, okay? I mean, it was like, come on, man. Because given the choice between a common criminal, someone who deserved capital punishment, someone who was as, as bad as they came, and then somebody who was as good as they ever came, somebody who had, all, had committed all the sins compared to somebody who'd never committed one, they chose that bozo. So what does that tell you, guys? Sometimes the crowd can be absolutely right, Janet. And sometimes they can be absolutely wrong. So preacher, where does that leave me? Well, you got to make sure you're following the right crowd. you got to make sure you're with the right crowd. you got to make sure that the people you're with are doing the right things and saying the right things because sometimes the crowd can be right, Sometimes they can be wrong. We all know how democracy works, don't we? We all get a vote, okay? And the majority wins. Now, if we're in Louisiana, sometimes people get more than one vote, okay? You know, I lived outside of New Orleans before, and, and man, they used to say, vote early and vote often, okay? And and uh, we're not going to talk about that, but we know how democracy works. We all get a vote. We, when you guys elected me as pastor, you all had a vote, okay? And, and that went well, that... I thought so. Okay. So so it went good. We all have a vote. That's how democracy works, right? We get a vote, the majority rules. Did you know that God's kingdom is not a democracy? God's kingdom's a little different, Sister Josie. It's a theocracy. Let me explain to you how a theocracy works, okay? In a democracy we all get a vote. We get our little scratchy pad, Jamie, and we write down whatever we want to write down. We all have a voice, we all have a say, and that's that's good. But in a theocracy, God is in charge. God is in charge and he calls all the shots not just some of the shots not just most of the shots all the shots because he's boss amen you may have an opinion but it's really nothing more than just that your opinion now you notice um, you're like fabian uh, fabian you're like why are you picking on me pastor well guess what you have an opinion and i have an opinion too and compared to god sister eloise those are both just what opinions okay because even in the church even in this church guess what i as the pastor don't call all the shots your board of elders don't call all the shots god calls the shots Now, guess what? If we're men of prayer, if we're men of fasting, if we're spiritual men, we kind of get on the same page as God. That's a good thing, (laughs) okay? We've all been to churches sometimes where it seemed like the men of God were not on the same page as God. You ever been there? Y'all have had meetings about that stuff before, okay? But that's a long way in the past. But, But guys, the church is built to be a theocracy where God calls the shots. We can have our opinions, and that's good, but it's really nothing more than that. I realize scripture tells us now there is wisdom in the multitude of counsel, and it's wise to seek godly counsel before decisions are made. But the fact remains following the crowd can and often will lead you astray. Do you need an illustration or two? This this week, go home and read in your Bible the story in Genesis 6 through 9 of Noah and his family. We talked about Noah a few weeks ago when we were talking about running with the giants, right? God spoke to Noah. He said there's going to be a flood. There's going to be a what, God? Well, it's going to start raining. What's rain? Never seen that before. Okay. God tells him to build a boat. Mr. Diana, he's like, what's a boat? Well, I'll tell you how to do it. You know, sometimes God's going to ask some things for you that don't make a lot of sense. The good news is he's not going to ask you and let you figure it out on your own, Blaine. He's going to tell you what to do and he's going to tell you how to do it. It's just how God is, okay? So with Noah, God tells him to build a boat because it's about to rain. How many boats were being built at that time? One. (laughs) One. (laughs) Just Noah. Okay, folks would come by and say, Noah, what you doing? I'm building a boat. You're building a what? Okay, now, you know, we're in South Louisiana. You'd never ask that question. You're building a what? Okay. Oh, Fabian, tell me more about your boat. Yesterday, I was at Fabian's house. He's telling me about the boat he built. That's pretty cool. That wasn't happening in Noah's day. They were like, look at that crazy man. Come see what this crazy man's doing. He says it's going to rain. What's rain? I don't know. Ask him. Okay. But look what he's building. He's building a boat. But how many know after a few years when that boat was complete and God told him to get his family and get, get, get two of every animal in that boat and when they closed that door and it started to rain, all of a sudden, it realized who was right and who was wrong, right? The majority said, it's never rained before. The majority said, what's that crazy man doing? The majority said, uh, God, boat, rain? All of a sudden, they saw how a boat can be uh, a thing that'll save you when the floods come. So guys, the majority can be wrong sometimes. How about the 12 spies in Hebrews, I mean in Numbers 13 and 14? They had a vote. It was a democracy, right, Rick? They sent 12 out there. Now, guys, this wasn't 12 bozos. This wasn't 12 umpires, okay? Oh, I had a rough week with umpires this week. Pray for your pastor. Grace and mercy, not patience, okay? Because I needed patience with some of them yahoos, okay? But um, they sent 12 leaders, Blaine. They were like leaders of the tribes. These are are good guys. These are folks that you thought a lot of, Brother Rick. They sent them into the, the promised land and go check things out. And you notice God never told them to go check things out, J.D. He had promised them the promised land. See, guys, when you go to checking things out, sometimes you can get yourself in trouble. Just do what God tells you to do, okay? But, but whatever. They, they sent some folks to check it out. And Jesse, they came back and they said, let's have a business meeting. Okay, they had everybody sign in on the road. No, they didn't do that. They said, okay, what should we do? Let's vote. Should we go? Should we stay? And it was a 10 to 2 vote. Wow, that, that's pretty convincing, right? And were they right or were they wrong? absolutely wrong. And that lack of faith, that vote, Troy, cost them 40 years. Cost them 40 years. So guys, why do I tell you that story? Because you got to make sure that you know what you know. You got to make sure that you're following the right crowd because sometimes the crowd can be right. Sometimes they can be wrong. For this reason, you and I as born again Christians must know what we believe. The Bible tells us that in the last days, false prophets will deceive many. So guys, you better know what you believe. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 3 verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 verse 16, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture, say that with me, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, guys, what is doctrine? Doctrine are tenets or beliefs of a religion. You better know what you believe. Amen? Guys, you got to get in this book. If the only time you crack this book open is when I ask you to turn to a certain verse, that's not good enough. That won't cut it in these last days. Amen? You've got to know what you believe. Amen? It's got to be revealed to you by, by a man of God, but it's got to be revealed to you also by the Spirit of God. Baby, and know what you believe, man. As you grow up in this thing, know what you believe. Don't just believe everything you hear, even from preachers, especially some on TV. Study the Word. Know what you believe. Commit to the discipleship process. Guys, you realize discipleship is not a one-time event. Discipleship's not just showing up for biscuits one Sunday out the month. No, no, no. It is a, a process. It's about us growing closer to the Lord. That's why Sunday school is important. Guys, we do Sunday school every Sunday. Now, we're not doing it next Sunday. We have a special Sunday, Easter Sunday, but we do it 51 other Sundays. Don't miss it. you got to be in there. Why? Because it will stretch you to help you grow. It's why that's important. It's why regular church attendance is important. Guys, you never know what you might miss. How many in here are parents? How many in here are parents? Or you've been parents, okay? You made your kid go to school just about every day, didn't you? Okay? The state says they got to go 180 days. Guess what? You made sure they were there most of those days. Why? Because you didn't want them to fall behind, Jamie. You didn't want them to miss something. You want to make sure they know how to add. You want to make sure they know how to do all those things they get taught to do. Well, guys, how much more important is a spiritual knowledge? How much more important is knowing this word? We we need to make sure we don't miss something. You got to know what you believe. Commit to the discipleship process. That's why going to Sunday school is important. Why church attendance is important. Why having your kids in church is important. Have them in Sunday school. Have them in kids church. Have them in rangers and missionettes. Have them in youth. Youth meets at 4 o'clock every Sunday afternoon. Get your kids here. Guys, it's important. Why? Because it's a process. Amen? Amen. It is so very easy, especially today, to go along with the crowd. Make sure you're with the right crowd and they're not being led astray. I read an anonymous quote that said, those who follow the crowd are quickly lost in it. Those that follow the crowd are quickly lost in it. You know, guys, those schools that our kids go to, there's a lot of crowds at those schools. Not too many of them crowds serve the Lord, do they? Amber? But you know what? Don't be afraid to stand out. God's called you to be different. Hunter, he's called you to be different too. Hayden, believe it or not, he's even called you to be different. Okay, trust me, you're different. Okay? Hey, we're all called to be different. Every, you ever wonder sometimes, Troy, why you don't fit in? Because you're not supposed to. We're called to be peculiar people. Some of you taking that a little bit too far, but, but, but you know what I mean. Okay? We're not supposed to fit in. But guys, you got to watch the crowd you're hanging with. I tell teenagers all the time, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Why? Because who you're hanging with is important. Fabian, think about some of the people you hung with. They set you back for a while, right? Now you're hanging out with pretty good people, okay? Hey, guys, make sure you're following the right crowd. Why? Because sometimes the crowd's right, and sometimes the crowd's wrong. Number two, let's talk about this crowd again. Another lesson learned from the crowd. That crowd, that Palm Sunday crowd, here's what they wanted. They wanted a savior they didn't really want a Lord. There's a difference. How many of you know there's a difference? Ricky, you know there's a difference, right? See, here's the deal Jesus came to be our Savior, He came to be the Messiah, He came to fulfill everything that was written about Him in the Old Testament, but He also came to be Lord. Amen? You can't have one without the other. Okay? You see the crowd at the, uh, all the excitement at the triumphal entry? Here's what it was about. The Savior is here. Here's what they thought. Roman oppression will cease. The Messiah will be victorious and set up his kingdom. By the way, he's gonna do all those things, but that's gonna be the next time he sets foot on earth. Okay? See, that's the problem. The Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for a conquering Messiah. They didn't realize that the first Messiah was a suffering Messiah. The first Messiah had come not to set them free from Roman oppression, but to set them free from something much more hideous, from sin. Amen? He didn't come to conquer Rome. He came to conquer sin. He came to set us free from that foe. You see, guys, he was more concerned with spiritual matters than with political matters. You need proof of that turn with me back to Matthew 21 look in Matthew 21 Jesus comes in we just read about it and it says the multitude said this to Jesus the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee look at the very first place Jesus goes look at verse 12 and Jesus went unto the temple of God see if he was a political guy where would he have went when he went to the temple He said, let me get an appointment with Pilate. Let me get an appointment with Herod. Let me go talk to somebody. Like, no, no, no. His first place he went was the temple of God. And look what he did. Did he just kind of go in there and sit in, Miss uh, Eloise? Did he just kind of go audit the meeting? Did he just sneak in quietly and let's see what's going on in my father's house? No, not quite. He came in and he cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, the children crying in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were displeased. Wow. It's it's amazing to me the two different responses we get right here. huh? Miss Belinda, some people came to him and they were healed. Some people came to him and he touched them and he blessed them. And then some people just looked at him and said, what is he doing? He's messing up my church. He's messing up my temple. What is he doing? Well, guys, guess what? Did, do you remember what the kingdom of God is? It's a theocracy. Guess what happened in this situation? The king showed up, okay? You know, in in governmental terms, when the king shows up, he can do anything he wants to do, right? Well, guess what? The king had showed up, J.D., and he walked in and said, this is not how it's supposed to be. And instead of having a business meeting and trying to convince them that they were doing wrong, he just decided to start flipping tables. In fact, I think he even had him a little whip. So if they wanted to kind of lollygag a little bit, he'd speed them up a little bit. You know, guys, I've seen some amazing pictures of Jesus baby and I've seen him on the cross. I've seen him with children. I've never seen him doing that. I think I'd like that picture, okay? I don't know about you guys, but but I like a man's man. See, if some of y'all think that Jesus was a sissy, you are missing the boat. That was a tough hombre, okay? That was a man's man. That was somebody who knew how to handle himself in any situation, okay? Now, was he kind and considerate? Absolutely. But guess what? I didn't see a lot of kindness in that picture. (laughs) Didn't see a lot of consideration. What I saw right there was righteous indignation because he walked in and said, these things should not be. Then he started, well, you know the rest, okay? But here's the deal, guys. Jesus came with a different agenda. Jesus wasn't there to, to, to be political. Jesus wasn't there to, to, to be the Messiah that the, the people of Israel were looking for. He came to accomplish the Father's will. Some were blessed and healed. The religionist folks, they were mad. They were fashe. They were fired up. So how do you respond, friends, when God changes your plans? How do you show how do you act when God Intervenes on your behalf. I must admit, there are times that I've got more pious religionists in me than is healthy. Do you know that? I don't know about you. This is probably not the case with you, but JD, you know who my biggest problem is? Me. You know who the biggest person I have most trouble with, Sean? Not you. Not even in boys. Me. Okay? You know what? I heard it said one time that if I could kick the guy who gives me the most trouble in the rear, Blaine, I couldn't sit for a week because I'd be kicking myself. See, my big problem is the man in the mirror. And guess what? Your biggest problem is that same man. Because our biggest issue is ourselves. Those things that we struggle with, John. Those things that we just can't get over. Those things that we can't forgive ourselves of. Guys, you know what? There's some of you in here. There are things that God has forgiven you of years ago. And you keep bringing them up. There are times you're even praying, Lord, forgive me. And actually, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Why? Because the Bible says he's chosen to remember those things no more. Now, does God forget anything? No, he's God. But he chooses to remember them no more, to hold them against you no more. Guys, some of you have got to forgive yourself. Some of you have got to stop going, stop beating yourself up over stuff. Guys, let me teach you the difference between condemnation and conviction. All right, give me 30 seconds. Conviction comes from the Holy Ghost, okay? And that's what every Christian needs. That's what caused me to give that gift to Sister Eloise. Okay, not really. Bad bad illustration. (laughs) What what caused me to give that to her is I'm just a smart aleck, okay? And I wasn't going to have that garbage in my house. But conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. J.D., you say something you shouldn't say. You do something you shouldn't do. And and before Janet hears about it, you just feel bad about it. So you want to try to make it right. That's conviction. That's good. That comes from God. But let me tell you what condemnation is. Condemnation is, Tracy, you're no good. Tracy, you're just a failure. You're just never going to get it right, girl. You might as well quit. You might as well go back to this. You might as well go back to that. Do you think your heavenly father would ever say those things? to you? No, 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 and no. See, condemnation comes from the evil one, and he makes you want to quit. That's why Paul said in Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore now what? No condemnation of those that are in Christ Jesus. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us. Amen? He doesn't want us to carry guilt and shame and unforgiveness with us. Jesus paid for all that on the cross. Guys, that's the big difference between condemnation and conviction. We got to know the difference because the devil wants us to, to continue to feel guilty, to continue to just fail to be effective for God. But the truth will set you free. Amen? So I don't know about you, but my biggest problem is me. It's not you, it's me. Okay? It's my pride. It's my ego. It's my stubbornness. By the way, my nickname growing up was Tet Dur. I don't have to explain that one to you, do you? Okay? That means hardhead. head. If my nickname growing up is hardhead, guess what? I can be a little stubborn. But I got good news for you guys. You can go a long way with God with a hard head and a soft heart. But here's the problem. Sometimes we mix the two up. Huh? You met some folks in church with hard hearts, Ricky? I've met them. I've, I've, I've recognized them during business meetings. I wish I hadn't. Okay. They've lifted their hand. Had something to say, Sister Valley. I really wish I didn't have to recognize them, but I have. And then all of a sudden, they just spew venom. That's not, the, that's not Christ. That's not, that's, not, that's not a lesson from the crowd we need to take. Amen? See, guys, I'm my biggest problem. And you're your own worst problem too. We need to deal with our own fleshly carnal natures and learn to obey God. Why? Because Jesus Christ, not only our Savior, but he's our Lord. Okay? You can't just add Jesus to your portfolio. You can't just say, well, I've I've got, you know, we had a water baptism service a couple days ago. Had a great, great time. Man, those guys that are following the Lord in the waters of baptism, praise God for you. Look, you didn't just add that to your, your portfolio. You didn't just say, hey, I'm going to start doing the, doing the church thing now. I'm going to still get toe up on Fridays and Saturdays, but I'm going to do the church thing on Sundays. Guess what? That don't work. That don't work, okay? We'll all know, okay? We ain't living alone in a small town. How many know you can't get away with nothing in this little small town? We know that. Okay, we all know what's going on. And some of you, you put all your nonsense on Facebook. Come on now. You know, some of y'all think, wow, did the Holy Spirit tell you, Pastor? No, I just saw your Facebook page. You know? How did he know? You told everybody. You put the picture up. Come on, man. What are that, Chris Carter? Come on, man. So guys, here's the deal. We're on we're our own worst enemy sometimes. But guess what? Jesus came to change all that. Jesus came to change all that. Amen? He came to set us free from the things that we used to do. He came to change our lives. We've got to learn that God is in charge. He calls the shots. He leads. We follow. He's the potter. We're the clay. As I've said before, Jesus cannot simply be added to your life like you'd add a new stock to your portfolio. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Amen? As I wrap this message up this morning, a couple couple things to remember. Number one, the crowd can be right. The crowd can be wrong. Number two, the crowd wants a Savior but not a Lord. And finally, in Luke chapter number 23, we're reminded that there is still hope for the crowd. There's still hope for the crowd. Let me reread Luke chapter number 23 for you because I just love that. You see, Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost, okay? You would think that these two, uh, these two evil people or these two criminals that were on the cross, it was too late for them, huh? Man, they'd gone too far. They'd messed up too much. But man, they hadn't gone too far. They hadn't done too much. I love two things I want to point out. Verse number 34. Jesus in the midst of being crucified, and notice what he says. Jesus, then said Jesus in verse 34 of Luke 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, guys, there's hope for the crowd. Father, forgive them. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're... They're listening to the wrong people. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. See, Jesus not only came for for those that are his disciples and those that have come after him, but he came for the crowd too. He came for those that are coming to church next Sunday, and he came for those that still won't come to church next Sunday. He came for all of us. Amen? And Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Man, there's hope for the crowd. Then jump down to verse 42 and 43. Finally, one of those malefactors looked at him and said, Would you remember me when you come in the kingdom? He said, Jesus, remember me when thou comest unto the kingdom. Jesus said unto him in verse 43, Verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Guys, it's never too late. Some of you have loved ones that you've been praying for a long, long time. It's never too late, J.D. Don't stop believing. You know what? I'm sure that that criminal's mama had just about stopped believing. It's like he's getting crucified, baby, and it's too late. I don't know what's going to happen to my baby. But it just so happened he was being crucified next to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And one of them just decided to still act a fool, Tracy. But the other one said, if you're really God, will you remember me? And what did Jesus say? In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, he remembered his purpose and he said, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Guys, one day in heaven, I wanna talk to that guy. (laughs) I wanna spend a little time with him, Ricky. I wanna say, What was it like? Man, what was it like to be right next to the man? (sighs) You know what it's like? It's grace. It's grace that is greater. It's grace that is greater. Amen? You see, Jesus paid the price for the crowd's forgiveness. More importantly, he paid it all for each and every individual. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, Jesus died the most cruel death imaginable for the crowd and for you and for me. His sacrificial death at Calvary has provided hope for all of us here today. What kind of hope has he provided? He's provided hope for an eternal life. Amen? We believe that there's an eternal life for those of you that, that love God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave us hope for salvation, Romans 10 and 13. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved. He's given us hope for forgiveness of sins. First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gave us hope for a changed life. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, what? He is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, everything has become new. He's given us hope for healing. Those of you that are believing God for a healing, hear what the Bible says in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Amen? He's also given us hope for salvation of loved ones. J.D., I was praying this with you just a moment ago. Acts 16 and 31, where it says, Believe and you will be saved and your household. Amen? God's not just concerned about you, but he loves your family. He cares about your family. He wants to see them saved. Guys, it's why we're asking you to invite them next week. Next week, when we talk about grace is greater, your loved ones need to be here. Remember, 2 Peter 3 and 9, God is not slack concerning his promises, but long-suffering toward us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. There's also a few more promises I want to read to you. The promise of the rapture of the church. Let me read to you in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. By the way, we are a Pentecostal church. It's okay for you to get excited. Amen? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Amen? And then finally... If that got you excited, you'll really like this one. Revelation chapter number 21. He gives us hope that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Let me read it to you. Revelation 21. And, oh, this is good. Guys, look, when I was preparing for this sermon, I got excited in my office. It's okay for the preacher to get excited when he's studying, huh? Well, you better get excited right now. Verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. You ready for that? Huh? And there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are faithful and true. He said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh, shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he will be my people can we give the lord a hand amen (laughs) guys that's what church is all about that's what this thing is all about fabian that's what celebrate recovery is all about that's what church is all about we make it about so many other things though don't we (laughs) We make it about the music. It's not about the music. We make it about the preacher. It ain't about the preacher. We make it about, did somebody tell me hello or not? It ain't about that. It's about Jesus. It's about the hope that he's given us. And guys, those are some lessons from the crowd. There is hope for the crowd, and there is hope for you and I because of the person of Jesus. As I close, and Sister Garland begins to play, let's remember the lessons we learned today from the crowd. The crowd can be right crowd can be wrong make sure you're following the right crowd number two the crowd wants a savior but not necessarily a lord you know what guys he can't be your savior or your lord he's got to be your savior and your lord and then finally let's remember there is still hope for the crowd